Off top, the first huddle in football was in 1894. It was done by Gallaudet, a deaf university. Their football team was playing against another deaf university. So in order to keep their plays secret, they had to huddle. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, Charlie, we had the big prime time. Oh, wait, first of all, welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show presented by our good friends at Allstate. Thank you, Allstate, for presenting the Dominique Foxworth Show. Now, we got all excited for a big primetime matchup of longtime rivals. It was like the 90s when we were kids. Cowboys Mm -hmm. versus 49ers going to decide the NFC and decide the Super Bowl champion. We were going to have a clash of the Titans. Two dominant defenses, two offenses with weapons everywhere, and the game was over at the end of the first quarter. One sentence to define this game. Hear it. Dak Prescott is back. Oh, man. How about, it's not even fair. See, that's, that is the ESPN angle where we no, have to no, talk about No, no, that's the Dak show Prescott. for this, this angle. That's I just had Dak to troll you. That's the Dak Prescott ESPN Cowboys angle. The truth is, I feel like today was a big day for Brock Purdy. It's a huge day for Brock yeah, Purdy. Like yeah, this, yeah. All of us, and I've been, I, I try to separate myself from the Brock Purdy doubters by acknowledging that if Brock Purdy was like a first-round draft pick, and was doing this, like if Trey Lance was putting up Brock Purdy's numbers, we would be losing our minds. If mm-hmm. any first round pick with that pedigree, we'd be losing our minds. No matter how in the offense it was or how much Shanahan credit deserved for it. But we've got to a point now where he's done it so often, so many times that it doesn't matter. All the context doesn't matter because Kyle Shanahan is his coach. And George Kittle is his tight end. Christian McCaffrey is his running back. And it's not as if he's not making incredible throws when they need it. I guess they didn't need it, but they had an opportunity to put the, the game away. And Brock Purdy was just surgical. Uh, yeah, lights out. <laughs> yeah, through the and from the pocket. And he has this fire in him. And I, dog. I, yeah, it's not Brock dog. Purdy. Dog. <laughs> dog. <laughs> no more milkshakes for you. No yeah. more milkshakes for you. It's too much energy because you got a little brownie milkshake. Got and a belly full of dairy and I'm feeling like Brock Purdy. <laughs> Brock was balling, though. And the attitude is, I guess. Dog. Yeah, where you keep saying dog. But, yeah, he... It's hard to find anything negative to say about Brock Purdy. He's never lost. Yeah, he's never <laughs> lost. Literally. I think the, the only negative thing that people say is like, well, Shanahan does it with everybody, but he doesn't do it like this with no. everybody. And this team very well could have won the, the Super Bowl last year with Brock Purdy had he not got injured. So I've said Brock Purdy 37 times, and I don't know what else to do with this other than they're the best team in football. Right. Every week we crown a new best team and then they go and lose. But I feel like this best team is not going to lose. And all the Brock Purdy praise that he deserves and we're giving it to him. That defense, man. It's unbelievable. They swarm so fast against a team that we thought was really and still do think is really yeah. good in the Cowboys. The coverage in the back end was incredible. Like you, They had the corners in isolation a few times. They did uh, a lot more man than we used to because they're, they're like a traditional uh, kind of zone coverage you would have saw it at Tampa Bay back in the day with cover two or the the uh, Legion of Boom Seahawks with cover three it's like we're gonna play this zone that's what they normally do play cover three and let the D-line win the game for them but they've mixed in a little bit more pressure and a little bit more man coverage in their versatile defense and Fred Warner's incredible punching the ball out like it I feel like I'm not giving anybody any specific revelations that are worth sharing, but appreciating how good the 49ers have been this far in the season. I mean, I don't think any of us thought that there was going to be like, I don't know how to say it any other way, an kicking like this. I mean, we're at the point of this where Kyle Juszczyk and uh, what's his name? Jordan Mason are ripping off touchdowns. When you get to the Jordan Mason and Kyle Juszczyk part of the offense, yeah. Nice. You're deep in the playbook at that point. You're just having fun now. Uh, yeah, Brock Purdy had four touchdowns. Um, I was surprised to the, his um, completions over expected was negative for the game, which yeah. I was surprised by because like, it seemed like the passes you were making were impressive, but I guess that's a credit to the offense uh, that people were wide open. I, I was trying to dissect the game quickly because we – Dak just throws third INT. 
We're taping this in the fourth quarter. Third? Yeah. So I'm trying to dissect the game as it's going on so that I can come with some great revelation of gr- game plan and strategy that the 49ers implemented. And it wasn't nothing special. It was what the 49ers do. There was a lot of uh, zone runs, McCaffrey being special, and attacking the middle of the field, which is what they always do. The one thing that I would say, and I'm not sure if this is uh, if they were faster getting rid of the ball than usual, but it seemed like early on at least they wanted Brock to get the ball out of his hands yeah. quickly, which makes sense with that D line. Mike Parsons is terrifying. Yeah, that's what that's what everybody does against that D line. That's the one thing that I saw where they were when they attacked the outside of the field, it was quick. Uh, but generally, they just are better than them, yeah. and and they were. Uh, running the ball effectively, even if not dominantly, like they were getting good chunks to put Brock Purdy in good situations. And Christian McCaffrey is special. Even with a fumble, he still bounced back and made plays. A couple times, yeah, too. he got lit up a couple times. Debo is special. The 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 challenges they provide for that defense from the creative things from going four by one. So like you think about trip set is a challenge for defenses. Because it's an overload. So, like, if you're a zone team, you might have to check out of that to something else. If you're blitzing, zone blitzing from that side, then you might have a linebacker or or a tackle on uh, a receiver or a tight end, which may not be what you want or a defensive end. But they would set up in a three-by-one and then motion Debo from the backfield out and end up in a four-by-one, which is going to stress the hell out of your defense. Like, they were doing things like that. Except the thing is, they do it once every so often. So, I imagine that... You don't devote a ton of practice time to it. So then, yeah, you're like, fine. If they do this, you'll have a matchup with Debo against a linebacker. Mm. It's in the red zone. And <laughs> and then it's a touchdown. And then it changes the dynamics of the game. So, yeah, they, they deserve a ton of credit. I don't uh, – We are careening towards an Eagles 49ers rematch in the NFC Championship. Eagles look good today, too, yeah. I thought. Like, I mean – the Rams are not nearly as impressive an opponent as the the Cowboys, but what I have seen so far this season in the Eagles' ups and downs offensively and defensively, what I have seen is Jalen Hurts is awesome. Yeah, he's sick. Yeah, and his down year is still yeah. sick. Whatever down year in quotes for the, the podcast yeah. audience. <laughs> Whatever uh, people last year were pointing to Jalen Hurts and saying it was about his surroundings, it's not. I'm not saying that it's completely untrue. Like, the surroundings matter. The talent matters. A.J. Brown seems to be open all the time and makes plays all the time. But I will say, when their offense is in the mud through these first few weeks of the season, even when they're in the mud, he does one or two things a game, sometimes three or four things a game, that you're like, oh, yeah, you don't need to design a play for that. He's going to break a tackle. He's going to roll out and throw a dime right over somebody's shoulder. And that's been the difference in most of their games. So I think – they're headed for a collision course. I don't feel like the Eagles' defense is as good as it was last year. The secondary feels like yeah. that one year of aging felt like a dog year. Darius Slay is a little bit a step behind everybody. They brought in Matt Patricia, and Darius Slay was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing hard yeah, anymore. You, you bring that fool in, you I'm made, done. You made your choice. Yeah, Bradbury, I would say, similarly feels like they're a little step behind. And they, this could all... Um, sort itself out towards the end of the season. They could be back to where they want to be. Their D-line is crazy. The They just added yeah. Jalen Carter, who quite Might possibly be the best is the player. best yeah. defensive the tackle in football right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't be mad if we got that. I would hope everyone stays healthy. I say to you, Brock Purdy MVP, what do you say back? I say that he's not going to get it. I mean, unless something happens to yeah. Christian McCaffrey. Because even if he deserves it, he, Christian McCaffrey is going to siphon off some of those votes, and that's going to cost him the MVP. But that's nuts. They're, they should institute a Purdy rule because I think it's outrageous that this man is is doing all this on Mr. Irrelevant salary. It's crazy. Uh, Skip Bayless tweeted five minutes ago, Mr. Relevant. That feels unnecessary to share. Like, what is it? It's a terrible tweet that you then— He also uh, then tweeted Texas Toast Offense. Oh, gosh, there's another terrible tweet. So we're just going to do bad tweets. He tweeted Jerry Cullen, go get Dion. (laughs) He's tweeting through it. That's a a good tweet. That's a good tweet. It's a a bad idea, but a good tweet. It seems fun. I would love Dion Sanders. Can you imagine the content if Dion Sanders was head coach of the Cowboys? It would be amazing. It would be amazing. He'd bring his own luggage. He'd trade Dak and bring in his son. That's that's the one thing that um, uh, Jerry, I feel like Jerry 
would have trouble with is like the the big personality because oh, Jer- yeah. Jerry wants to be the face of the organization. It'd be real tough. Yeah, him and Dion going at it, having a sunglass off would be a matchup that I would love to see. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DF. So what is there to make of this? Is there anything to project forward? Do you feel like, I mean, I think the 49ers are definitively the best team in football right now. Hands from what we've seen so far, this is this seems to change week to week. What we've seen so far, the 49ers have to be looked at as the best team in the league. The one thing that I think you had hanging over them was like a big marquee win like this. Honestly, I think they got the, it. the thing that we thought was hanging over them was an artificial ceiling put on by a quarterback who we didn't know was talented enough to really like elevate the team because we thought that from the Garoppolo era through Purdy, can a quarterback elevate the offense? Based on the sample size we have, the answer is definitively yes with Purdy. Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, the, those couple of throws over the middle on that pivotal like third quarter drive that we were yeah. talking about, what I saw in there that was special, and I think we like to do this with quarterbacks, is like pick out their superpower. And what I saw there as special was nothing physical as much as it was like mental anticipation and trust. I mean, I yeah. yeah, and they, they had that low angle view on, on those throws where yeah. you could see what he was seeing. That's a tough, uh, like, uh, throwing that ball to put some hair in your chest. Like, it's a scary throw, and he attacks it. Like, Shanahan likes to attack the middle field. It's a tough place to attack routinely, but he attacks it routinely. That's, you have to anticipate. They're too quick in those windows to not throw it before they're open. And to be able to do that, anticipate and trust your players and do it regularly and not turn the ball over and – Never lose when you're healthy and finishing the game. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to argue for anything but MVP conversation, and this is the best team in football. Yeah. Ah, Dak. Oh, Dak, Dak, Dak. Yoda. Do I, I don't know. I feel like because I am one of the, the main Dak supporters, well, like I have to well, well, come to terms with the fact that maybe he ain't it. No, I don't even, this game, I, I'm not even, like, I was trolling you about Dak Prescott. This game feels so much more about the 49ers and a coronation of this team being far superior to a Cowboys team we thought was a contender with them right now than it is about Dak. Like, I just don't feel like that was the storyline coming out of it. I agree with you. However, I felt like, and maybe this is just me having, like, main character syndrome, yeah. but I felt like the only person in media that was like, nah, Dak's got it. He's going to get it done. He's not going to turn the ball over a bunch. He could play well in big games. I felt like I was alone. This is his house of horrors. Yeah, and it just feels like now, I I don't know. I'm going to have to work on something, but before I go on Get Up on Tuesday, I got to concoct some argument because this one is going to be hard. I'm going to push this against you. Who can I blame? McCarthy? There we go. Their their offense is in mud, but I want to, like, seriously, they played a close game with the Cardinals. Uh, oh, sorry, they lost. Yeah, they, <laughs> they lost by the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, but their three wins this year: yeah, Giants, bums. Well, Giants, Jets, and Patriots. Yeah, blowouts against bums. Yeah. They might not be who we thought they were. Yeah, it, yeah, it feels like they aren't, and yeah. that's that's. I mean, in the O line is an issue. 
Uh, and well, everybody's O line is an issue against that 49ers front, but they also have a slew of injuries. The center went down through the course of this game to go even deeper into the injuries. Those are problems. Uh, I haven't really watched what they were doing with CD, but he seemed like he was not impactful. Pollard had a fumble, one catch for six yards in the first half as the game started to slip away. It's like not what you expect from a true, true X receiver. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm not sure if it's the function of the offense or CD couldn't get open or Dak couldn't find him. It's things that I will find out tomorrow morning when I rewatch this foolishness. But right now, it's just the whole organizational failure because they're not even competitive. I think that's yeah. the worst part. It's like they weren't even competitive. Now, I felt this game felt like it was over in the second quarter. And like the defense played well against them last year, at least. And they were in it the the playoff game before that they lost to them. They were in it up until the end that the clock ran out and that couldn't spike it in time. But like this was like, no, you guys aren't even in the same class. Yeah. I mean, the defense I thought kept them in the game at the beginning. When it's not, when it felt like the 49ers were gonna run away run Did away they? with it. Well, it feels like they quit the second half on like they knew oh, it was, okay. it was over. Well, like, it did, yeah. didn't feel like they had an answer in the first yeah. half either. Yeah. I felt like they're they, hanging on for dear life. Yeah. It felt like they were being outplayed too, which was yeah. a tough thing. Is like they before the season, the belief was like the defense was going to be the strong suit, and the offense would have time to figure things out, and Dak wouldn't have to press. I think that was part of the problem is they couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop him, and of course they had the Pollard turnover, but they couldn't stop him. They forced, if I remember correctly, it was it was only in the first quarter they forced one punt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next time they forced a punt was like just before halftime, I think, and I right. think they scored on the on the rest of the drives. Yeah, and scored touchdowns. And touchdowns too. Yeah. It's the bad part. So yeah, it's they didn't have any answers either. So we oh. can't point all point at Dak, but we're going to because don't worry, Dak is exactly who he thought he was. We'll get the he'll get the Cowboys to the wild card. Yeah, he'll go ten and seven. Yep, you'll get super excited. I won't get excited. He'll throw two <laughs> picks in the wild card. It's round. funny because I'm I rooted for the 49ers growing up. Against the Cowboys, yeah. mainly because my best friend was a big Cowboys fan, and I grew up in Baltimore. We didn't have a team when I was a kid. And yeah, there's nothing better so than I was your, like, All right. your, your friend's yeah. pain. I was like, all right, guess I'm a 40, 49ers fan. And I never really liked the Cowboys, but I became a Dak Prescott fan because I was watching how ridiculous everybody was acting around Dak Prescott when he was young. I was like, no, he's actually really good, guys. And now I'm in this corner where I'm watching him fail time and time again and I'm the only one that's like hey he's good guys what do you think about just switching to becoming a full-time Brock Purdy Sam Ooh, go full Purdy <laughs> you're the first one to say that Brock Purdy's actually good <laughs> I can't be the first one somebody else has already said this right is this my corner this is your corner all right give it to me sorry Dak cousin Brock cousin Brock <laughs> Brock uh... you're about to get a free hot tub Oh my gosh, that was so ridiculous. His parents sell hot tubs. Are we uh, we're not going to say what is actually going on there. Nobody is making a living selling hot tubs in Mesa, Arizona. Mm. All right, I think it's time to go talk to Kevin Clark about the rest of the games of this wonderful football Sunday. What do you think? Talk to Kevin. All right, now we get to welcome in my good friend and yours, Kevin Clark. Talk about some football. Welcome, buddy. How'd you shoot this What's weekend, Brett? Just so, should the viewer know that Charlie asked me about golf and that you protested by just making loud noises every time I started <laughs> no, to talk? First, I threatened to break every camera in this room if I have to listen to you talk about your golf game this weekend. And then I said, blah, 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 every time you tried to make a noise. Literally Team America. He fake vomited <laughs> nonstop for five minutes. Oh, it wasn't fake. I just held it down. Anyway, let's talk about a real sport All right. with real athletes. Charlie, football, lead us. Definitely. Uh, I'll get there. I will say, massive improvement, Kevin. You used to be the enemy of the show, and he introduced you as good friend of the show, Kevin Clark. Oh, full, so this is full, great. Full sarcasm. 100% sarcasm. I'm just waiting to keep the count of how many mm. times he name drops somebody that he interviewed on his own show. Oh, oh so I bought, I got to get to it so we can actually get to the name drops. A Dan Marino incoming once we get to the <laughs> Dolphins topic. Um, okay, first one. Have the Bills passed the point of no return with their injuries after what happened this morning in London? Oh, man. I mean, the London game, I think it's hard to make conclusions about this team because the London game is the London game. It's a home game for only the Jags because they live out there. Are we open about the fact that they're, like, actively trying to move the Jags to London? Like, or are we still pretending, like, they just coincidentally get sent to Jackson or get sent from Jacksonville to London every year? 
not only that, they're asking for a billion dollars from Jacksonville for a new stadium, and they're going to continue to play in London two games a, a year. So it's like, what's the billion dollars for? <laughs> oh, man. But I mean, I think we both, it seemed like you were not. We both agree that it's hard to make sweeping conclusions about the Bills based on the London game. However, they are an old team, and we like we talked about it before the season. They are an old team, and they do seem to be getting injured a lot. In this game, it wasn't pretty. The defense had like... I wanted to be positive about the defense because the D-line did get pressure and it created some turnovers, but those things don't seem replicable and it seems scary for their future going forward. And Josh Allen, I thought, played well. I liked the way Josh Allen played. He played within himself. That man slid. I saw Josh yeah. Allen slide. I saw him run out of bounds. I saw him throw a ball away. It was just all the minor things and and, may, and still managed to make the big Superman plays throughout the course of that game. We should note, Matt Milano, fractured leg. They're checking the ACL. Yes. Uh, but still, most likely out for the season. Tredavious White, already out for the season. These are two of the already best out. defensive players in football. Which Tredavious is White is a corner, Jones. Matt Milano is their linebacker. Daquan Jones said defensive tackle. Um, Anti-name drop, by the way. Matt Milano from Orlando. I've tried to meet him a bunch to find out if he's a Magic fan. Have not been able to connect with him. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We're so, in the hole one. There you um, go. All right. A <laughs> um, couple things. Number one, Matt Milano was the best player on the field against Miami Dolphins. This is massive. Like, this is massive. He had five stops against them. Everybody talks about the pressure that the Dolphins offense puts on safeties, but like Matt Milano, especially in the run game, was everywhere. Um, he forced a fumble. There were five, again, the five stops he had, which is exactly what it sounds like. He literally stopped a run at the line of scrimmage or close to it. Um, here's the problem for the Bills. You mentioned the age of the team. It's a veteran team. They have not, there have been some big draft misses over the past three years that could have augmented this. But right now, their roster construction, according to over the cap. Dead last in the NFL on rookie spending, um, third in the NFL in cash spending on high spenders. So uh, elite players, elite salary players, high and then mid-tier. They spend a lot of money on these guys because they're all in their second and third contract. Um, when that happens, you don't have a lot of depth. Von Miller is back. Uh, we'll see what that impact looks like. But like, this is not a team that can afford a lot of injuries. Having said that... Um, the injuries keep piling up in the AFC, and at some point we say that about every team, and everybody's imperfect. So I'm not ready to rule them out, but I am ready to, to lower the ceiling a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the – um, For a lot of we, it. We juxtapose this team. The perfect, I think, comparison of this team is the Chiefs, and that the Chiefs were looking to build a long-term dynasty, and they made some concessions, and that's why their defense is incredibly young. That's why they let Tyreek Hill go and why they don't really have any outstanding uh, – well, outstanding a stretch – any above-average receivers. And they made those decisions – in order to like weaken their team, but elongate their uh, window. The Bills having lost in the Super Bowl four times when we were kids growing up and now seem so close to the Super Bowl, it feels like the culture of the city is like, no, is he good? We can't let him leave. Pay him. Is he good? We can't let him leave. Pay him. It's compounded by the fact that they aren't drafting proper replacements. I guess um, Ed Oliver is maybe, I'm trying to think of the, all the players they drafted outside of Josh Allen. Uh, Gabriel Davis, I guess. Well, well, you, met, well, you, you mentioned. No, I mean, the um, impactful the Chiefs. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know, but but you mentioned the Chiefs. The We're Chiefs so drafted Trent McDuffie as a DB right. a, a year ago, and he's really good. Yeah. As a DB, the Bills drafted Kyrie Elam, and he's been a healthy scratch. So, like, there you go, right there. First um, round cornerback so, from Florida. Exactly right, and so um, I guess you mentioned it. Like, Thanks for exactly there, right, by the way. I appreciate there. that. It's not a game show. I wasn't trying to prove it to you. I'm just trying to make sure that people know, know. who we're I talking mean, about. Like, I could have said that. I mean, he's a DB. Yeah, that's what people um, know what we're talking about. Well, I mean, he, I would, isn't he? Uh, didn't one of his brothers play for the Ravens? You mm -hmm. could have linked up with him. There we go. You, you so know you so go. much about sports. I was going to ask you. So, Von Miller takes a huge payday to go to to Buffalo. This might be an explosive question. Like, are can they not get a bunch of guys on discount contracts there, or do you have that? Does even does a good Bills team have to overpay for people to come to Buffalo, Dominic Cox? Yeah, I don't think so. I think a, a lot's made of. It's a good question. I think a lot's made of the idea that NFL free agents have the same um, scale in their brain that NBA free, free agents have. I. I'll be honest with you, my opinion on the NFL free agents having been one and been around a lot of them, you go to the highest bidder. Right, like, right. it's not a whole bunch of like, oh, no, you're going to have to pay me more to, pay, to play in Buffalo. That's not really how it works in football. They tend not to have that leverage or that emotional attachment. You go to where you can get the most money. So I don't think that they have to overpay for players, but I do think that there are some time they get in a situation where they're unwilling to let go of players that 
are good because they don't want to or they don't have the replacements ready and they don't want to weaken their team. So I'm sure that Vaughn Miller specifically, he was one one that they brought in. He probably kind of got over on them for more than he was worth considering he was coming off some injuries and he was on the tailspin of his contract. But it's not more than he's worth if he's healthy because we see the impact that he makes in those games. Even last year. Yeah, in those games, he closes games. And that's like at the end of games is when Vaughn Miller gets a sack and it's over. It happens so often. So it's one of those things in football where it's a risky game. There is no proper decision. You have to take these risks. So I feel bad being critical of the Bills because I know if I'm a fan of that team or I'm a player on that team, you guys are keeping all the good players. I'm like, yeah, pay them whatever they want to stay until they get old and they start getting hurt. And now we have to go on the we have to go with the players that were drafted that are not living up to their potential. Ask the sports media question. You guys dropping him from that top tier with the Dolphins and the Chiefs in the AFC? Because it seemed like we've gone over week by week who the best team in the NFL is. And this was Bill's week. I mean, the Chiefs could have lost to the Vikings today. They have Patrick Mahomes. Which, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know. I'm just saying, like, everybody's shown these flaws. Yeah. And so I'm not, yeah. and my AirPod just fell out. Um, so, I mean, who's, who's, who might have, <laughs> you know, cast stones um, as far as being flawed? Um, and no, I, I think that we've seen so much. Like, I mean, two weeks ago, everybody was doing viral rants on how the Bills were better than, than the Dolphins. Like, we've just seen so much imperfection. Like, why can't an AFC that gets weakened every single week? Um, the, the top tier is wide open. It's wider, much wider than we thought at the beginning of the season when we thought there was a defined three tiers of good teams. Yeah, that Jets lost that they started the season one, I think tainted all of our opinion of them. And it took us a minute to come around. And once we finally, they won three in a row, three dominant wins in a row. We finally came around. They went to London and laid an egg and got more players injured. So I'm not really ready to drop them down because somehow the Cardinals managed to be competitive every week. <laughs> like, I don't know what any team is at this point. I know I trust in the Ravens. A lot of these teams we're going to talk about going forward, but it's like, I don't know who to trust which is why we all end up just falling back on you know what patrick mahomes is really good right. let's trust him well so on the- it, it's been it's been three years since the jaguars have had more offensive yardage than they had today in a non-overtime game so like that's that's troubling but would they, i feel like every contender's had a game like that do you want to talk about the jaguar side of this for a little bit because that's a this team has been really weird they're like a completely non-explosive offense trevor lawrence is still like processing and playing at a high level but what a weird start to the season for them I mean, I think they played better in this game than the score revealed. Like I mentioned before, there were like fumbles that they lost in inopportune times in the red zone. I think this game could have been out of reach. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence played extremely well on third downs, making good decisions, attacking those weak points in the defense. Yeah. Can I stat you down? Stat me down. They had uh, they only had 11 points and 240 yards through three quarters, and then had 234 yards and 14 points in the fourth. So to your point, yeah, it was it could have been out of reach. Yeah, and they um uh, Etienne made some big plays towards the end of that game. Uh, the D line wasn't as dominant as it felt like they were. Like after as I'm watching the game, I'm like, damn, D line's getting pressured. Then I go back and look at the key plays. They weren't doing the things that uh, I expected them to do. But I think like. It's another one of these teams that has the talent and has shown peak ability last season and this week, but they just can't be consistent. I think that's a couple of things. Number one is they have a pretty bad GM. They whiffed on the first overall pick. They have a generational, I think a guy who has the capability still to be a generational quarterback. And so there's a kind of a mismatch there. They're not, it's not like they're going to be on the chief's trajectory ever where they just take off and never look back. Um, I will, you mentioned the weirdness of it. Um, I will give you another stat, like to stat you down. That's what what Charlie and I like to do on this show. Um, I saw the stat on ESPN and I, I, I'm, I'm baffled by it. So Lawrence was pressured on 22 dropbacks today. Okay. Uh, he, he was sacked a career high five times, but when he wasn't sacked, and by the way, he had two lost fumbles on those sacks. When he wasn't sacked, he had the best game under pressure he's ever had in his career. 10 of 13, 145 yards and a touchdown. So he, it's like play to play. They're a different team, yeah. um, and I think that's. I don't know what that is. Um, it's just a weird. No, I think hodgepodge you do, roster. You do it's know a what young it is. Team. So first of all, the stat that you gave perfectly encapsulates the feeling that I got while I was watching that game. Where it's like he's awesome. Yeah. Why aren't they winning by more? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, but I do think that you explained why they're so inconsistent. It looks like a different team is because they have a quarterback who's good enough to overcome uh, bad things around him sometimes. He can't overcome it all the time. And sometimes the things around him aren't bad. Sometimes the things around him are good. But sometimes they fall off. 
fault. Sometimes they aren't protecting him. And sometimes the game plan is not up to par. Sometimes the general manager is surrounding them with players that are not up to the standard. And I think that's why you see peaks and valleys from a team like this where it's like, wow, this guy's better than anybody at this moment. Oh, now he uh, has two 300-pound linemen draped all over him. Can I get over my skis on a cross-sports analogy? Ooh, I love it. Let's, do it. Let's, yes, do it. Let's grade it. Let's grade I went this to a baseball analogy. game. I went to a baseball game, no big deal, um, earlier this summer. <laughs> and they, it was against the Padres, Yankees against Padres, okay? And every time there was a Padres guy, not a huge baseball guy, I'd Google him. And it'd be like, it'd be like, oh, this guy's like a four-time all-star. He's amazing. He's like, he's crushing it this year. He's one of the best young players in baseball. Every single time. I'd be a name pop up, I'd like Google it. It's like, hey, this guy's amazing. And I'd say to my buddy, like, so these guys must be awesome. And they're like, no, 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 these guys suck. And it's like with the Jaguars, sometimes I watch these yeah. guys and I'm just like, oh, this guy seems generational. Oh, this guy seems like the best athlete I've seen on a football field in a couple of weeks. And then, it, it, then you see weeks where they just can't put it together. And I'm not saying that they're the Padres because I don't know anything about the Padres organization <laughs> other than what I just described. I literally just emptied out my notebook of Padres <laughs> knowledge. Um, but what I will say is that like, I just feel like it's that kind of team where the talent and the top-end talent doesn't match the potential on the field. Oh, it's the beauty of football is the top-end talent is never enough. You got to be all on the same accord like we are here with That's our producers right. and uh, our co-hosts and uh, our cameras. What's next? Totally. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's. Uh, I want to talk about the a AFC North. I need to ramble for a second oh, because no. I want to go through the four teams because this <sighs> is... Dominique's beloved AFC North, the before the season, oh, the toughest division in football. Um, <laughs> Put some bass in your like, voice when you do a Dominique imitation, damn it. It's a bass in my voice. You know that's impossible. <laughs> I don't oh. have any bass in my voice. Uh, well, okay, let's get to the teams. The Steelers are at the top of the division, but they're 3-2. and two. We don't trust them. They have tiny-handed Kenny Pickett. Um, the Ravens are just the Oof. same team as last year. Um, and Todd Munkin is basically just wearing a great, it's just Greg Roman in a mask that looks like Todd, Todd Munkin. It's the same offense. Uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals are two and three and have the 49ers before their bye, but seem like the only team with upside. And the Browns have a great defense, uh, but a quarterback who's been bad for half of the season and they're two and two on bye. So my question to you guys, do you trust anyone in the AFC North? To be good. Kevin is champing at the bit, so I will move out the way before no, he jumps I, to the screen. I have no idea why Charlie's being so aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's because he believes that I love the AFC North, so he yeah. wants to take a shot at me. Like, for some reason, I bet some money on them or something. I didn't. I did think the division was going to be much better. I thought we I were did. doing aggro today. I was uh, following Dominique's lead. It, it, doesn't, we doing... you know, it doesn't fit you, though. You are you're, you know how Todd Munkin is actually Greg, Greg Roman wearing a Todd Munkin mask? Yeah. Don't put on the aggro mask. It doesn't uh, work for you. It would be very bad if I put on a Dominique mask. I would, <laughs> I would never be allowed back on air. <laughs> I love you. That was the best moment of my night. All right. Um, so I, I think um, you have uh, make some interesting points. And so where do we start at this? The Ravens game today was like a mirror of their game against the Colts, yeah. except even more painful in that, like, it's obvious that they're better than the Colts. It's obvious that they're better than the Steelers, but they still manage to somehow lose. And when you have only 17 games, you can't drop the easy ones or the ones that you have in hand. And they did it in this game with a bunch of ridiculous plays. And it's like... <sighs> Lamar Jackson deserves the criticism for his inaccuracy and inconsistent play. But he also threw a couple of touchdown passes that were batted down by his wide open receivers. So it, it goes back. And this is not a Ravens trait normally. While you say it's the same as last year's team, the idea that they are going to be up and down inconsistent doesn't seem like a Ravens trait. That seems like a Jaguars trait. The idea that they're all going to be injured and somehow still perform well, that feels more Raveny yeah. than anything else. So how they go into this game and manage to blow it again, like it feels like it should surprise me, but I guess Lamar Jackson has had inconsistent play over the last couple of years. Since his MVP season, he's been injured, he's been up and down, but he always seems like, I think to your point, the Todd Munkin in the, the mass situation is no matter what offense you install, it's going to be great if Lamar is balling. Yeah. And no matter how complicated it is, it's going to be great if he's balling and stink when he's not. So one of you two is an active athlete because Charlie golfs, but one of you <laughs> is a, a retired athlete. And I'm curious, uh, having played in this particular rivalry, um, the Steelers and the Ravens, is there a reason that these teams get in just roll around in the mud with each other? Because I feel like maybe it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where they're always like, 
it's going to be tough. We're going to we're going to out tough you, and we're going to be physical, and then they end up playing ten to eight games a lot. Like, yeah. or is it just is it just these teams are tough and physical, and they just beat the crap out? Of yeah, them? I have no idea. I wish I had an answer for you. I think if I were to to say what it is, it's more that you come into the game with a mindset that it's going to be a, a, a bloodbath, which means it's going to be a low-scored game. And so then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think the coaches coach to that in some situations, too. Right. We aren't trying to throw out the good plays. Yeah, yeah. They're like, we don't need these today. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's almost like um, when you're going up against this, like, your brother or whatever, like someone that you're close with, it's almost more important to, like, uh, impose some sort of dominance. It's like, you know what? In this situation, we're not going to run the cutesy-wootsy play that might get us a 50-yard touchdown. We're going to smash him in the mouth. Uh, but to answer your question, Charlie, like, I don't I don't trust anybody. I trust the Ravens the most to figure it out only because of yeah. the floor with Lamar. Um, I just feel like at some point that's going to set sail, and he's got a, a floor that's higher than right now. If, I mean, I don't think that beating the Cardinals is that much of an accomplishment. Um, Joe Burrow had a couple of throws today that made me think that he's progressing. I'm on around the morning right. of the day, I called for him to be, to be like basically take the next three weeks off. Um, I still feel that way, um, but at least it looked like something was happening there today, just giving the ball to Jamar Chase over and over again. Um, but I don't think that's sustainable. Um, I think the reason that offense works is because they're able to hit people at every single level all over the field when the defense takes something away. So if Jamar Chase gets taken away against the Seahawks, against the Niners in a couple of weeks, like, what do you do? Trent Irwin fell down and it led to a tipped interception today. Like, that that's a problem. Um, the chemistry with T. Higgins has just not been there um, since the start of the season. It's been very inconsistent. So I'm kind of putting them aside until we see what happens with Joe Burrow's calf. Steelers are the Steelers. Um, I, I I guess if I had to trust anybody, it would be it would be Baltimore. Yeah, I think I feel the same way, but I don't feel all that confident in them. If I had mm. to trust one team, it's Baltimore, right. and it's more because of their track record than it is because of what we've seen this season. Because I think two games like that, like I mentioned against the Colts and the Steelers, if I saw that from a team and I couldn't like they, I couldn't tell what team it was, I'd be like, oh. This team, man, they get yeah. softer than the game. They fall apart. I can't trust them in those big moments. But it's because we've seen the Ravens do it. We've seen Harbaugh. We've seen Lamar do it that I feel like I can trust them definitely more than the Steelers and Kenny Pickett. And you're right. The, the Bengals are a team that I would feel that way about if it wasn't the fact that I saw Joe Burrow's atrophied calf today and it does not inspire confidence for him being able to play out the rest of the, yeah. this season. It's so interesting. That's the only team that I really think has upside because of Burrow. Because Burrow is like the he's like he's so clearly been the best quarterback in that division, one of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL. That's like if he gets right, if he gets right after the bye, weird things happen in the NFL. It's like I would be stunned if they beat the 49ers next week, but weird stuff just happens in the NFL. And what if they go into the bye at, you know, yeah, three I and mean, three? I think you can make that same argument. I, yeah. I think because the defenses are good in this division, it's like if they can figure it out on the other side, I think that's part of the reason why I feel comfortable about the Ravens is like I do know that Lamar has the ability to go off for long stretches. And that defense has been really good so far, even considering all the injuries. They got Marlon Humphrey back uh, in this game, which was not great since Pickens scored the game winner on him. But other than that, he's a great cornerback, which I think makes this team a lot better. Basically, if they – if they saw Pickens in single coverage, they'd go to him, and it doesn't matter if it's Marlon Humphrey or, or whomever. I mean, that's kind of what it means to be an NFL receiver. If you have an NFL-level quarterback who's not under pressure and an NFL-level receiver in man coverage, the receiver's supposed to get open. The game is designed for that. The rules are designed for that. So, all right, Pickens, good play, buddy. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. You ready? Let's do it. Oh, it's time for the good hands. All right, guys. And now it's time for our good hands moments presented by Allstate. New guy doesn't believe in throwing up the good hands. That's fine. I don't. All right. I'm doing okay, it right thank now. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Devon A. Chan. This season has 30 carries for 460 yards. He went off again today. He seems unstoppable. He seems like the fastest running back since Chris Johnson. How does the emergence of Devon Achan change what you think of the ceiling for this Dolphins offense? I don't know that it changes what I think of the ceiling of this Dolphins offense at all. And I understand that they were not great. I think they're 19th in rushing efficiency last season and still were a pretty dynamic offense. They're second in efficiency this season. And I guess they're a more dynamic offense and kind of scary. But I think what Devon Achan is doing, and I don't want to disrespect him or any other running back, but when you look at it, he's seeing a lot of light boxes. This all kind of feels like... uh, a Tyreek Hill effect or Waddle effect, Tua effect. And I think that maybe, I mean, no disrespect to Tua either when I talk about this team, but it feels a lot like they are, I have to phrase this properly, not that they are benefiting from this system, but this system is perfectly tuned to highlight their abilities because Tua is really good at certain things. And I think that this offense accentuates those things. And the same thing is true of Devon Achan. And so like his big run today, it's a light box and everyone gets their body on someone. There's no like great blocks and he gets to the second level. And then he just races the safety and outruns his, his angle to the corner, which is incredible and impressive. But it feels like you can drop him just about anywhere else. You're not going to get that result. Yeah, um, the stats that they're putting up are unbelievable. And it, obviously, like, I think everybody saw the Field Gates thing a couple weeks ago about the speed right. and how the top six instances of, of guys running over 21 miles per hour were all Dolphins. That continues uh, unabated. Like, it's now, like, the top 10 instances, and it's still all of these guys. Um, they set a record. Most of HN have, have uh, seven. They're the first duo with seven Yards from scrimmage, excuse me. They're the first duo with seven touchdowns from scrimmage in the first five games since 1966. Bob Hayes, Bullet Bob Hayes and Dan Reeves did it. Um, and so, like, this is not, it reminds me a little bit of, like, the Lamar Jackson MVP year where, like, all of the stats, because nobody runs the ball anymore, all of the stats were, like, breaking the 1948, <laughs> like, Cleveland Rams records. Like, that's what we're dealing with now with this with this Dolphins offense. Um and so I don't think it changes. It just shows you that there's more depth. They can survive it. Like the conversation we had about the Bills earlier where we're like, eh, I don't know, Matt Milano, he goes, like the Dolphins can afford three injuries and they'd still have the fastest guy in the NFL. Like that's <laughs> astounding. Yeah, the, the, um, I know this is about the Dolphins, but the Milano injury is huge because the point you were making earlier, so yes. Milano's the guy who stops those runs from happening. And yes. I, it's not to say that no one else can do it, but everyone else is going to have a much harder time doing that without Matt, Matt Milano. And this seems like a team that they're going to have to get past, if not in their division, also in the playoffs at some point. But back to the Dolphins. They're so fun to watch. It does feel like anytime anyone they're, – they're like a certain – I don't know. There are 10 or so players in the league – Uh, not including the Dolphins players, where when they get the ball in their hands, you get excited. You're like, oh, something's going to happen. They got them all on their team. Like, there's nobody who catches the ball where I'm like, uh, all right, let's get five yards. Everyone catches the ball. I'm like, uh, or they hand it to someone like, uh, this this might go to the crib. It's kind of a fun way to play football. I think Chase Claypool is going to work there. Because he's fast and big, and they're just going to put the ball in his hands. He's going to he's going to do stuff, and and Mike McDaniel is not going to let him undermine the coaching staff because he'll be busy scoring <laughs> 11 touchdowns for the rest of the season. Here, here, dude, here, here's a football. Yeah, Stop he won't complain go, if he go, scored go run. Uh, can I rephrase the question I had about HN? Cause it's not, I think I've phrased it. HN has been incredible. Obviously he looks like an incredibly special one cut runner, but I think what I was trying to get at with this was a more interesting discussion is last year they had the 19th best rushing attack in the NFL. Now it's like top two with the bullet with San Francisco. And I think there are limitations to what we think. Tua can do arm strength wise. I don't know if we totally trust him on a play to play places, play to play basis as an elite quarterback. But if this is a team that's rushing for 250, 300 yards week after week after week, does that change how you view this offense? Because to me, that actually does. It's it's stylistically different than we thought it was after the first two weeks of the season and what we thought it was last year. 
Yeah, um, just bringing up Tua's uh, performance last year, and I feel like I'm jumping around from topics to topics. Reminds me that the Ravens blew a couple games last year that they should have won also, so maybe this is the Ravens. But now anyway. you see why I got aggressive about the Ravens topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah. just randomly popped into yeah. a Ravens topic yeah, about this. I mean, because it, wh- whatever. Anyway, they did blow that game against them, and then they had that one against the Raiders last year. It was nonsense. So I guess the Ravens are a team that blows fourth quarter games. But yeah, uh, your, question, <laughs> your question about awesome. Tua and HN. All uh, of it. This is a team yeah, with like yeah, 2,600 yeah. yards right. through five games. So, I mean, being flexible, being versatile, obviously is something that helps. Yeah. But I do think that these things are connected. Yeah. I don't think that they have a running attack yep. that will survive if you load the box. So, like, if something yep. happens so that the offensive air attack is being undermined, uh, they're not going to be able to run against loaded boxes and just overpower people. I think this is a result of it being a very well-tuned machine. And right now, like to your point, maybe they have enough people, enough parts, if something breaks, that they can put someone else in. Maybe Mostert can do a similar version of that. Maybe, and yep. we saw when uh, they were down Waddle, Tyreek Hill was uh, enough to still be incredibly dangerous and score 50 points against the Broncos. So, like, I'm not saying that it can't work, but I am saying that I don't believe that this rushing attack is one that can be the centerpiece of the offense without the threat of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Yeah, football to me is about problem solving and having as many avenues right. towards that as possible. And so if you like one of the great things, the reason the Bengals have been so successful for the past three years until this year was that they could, okay, Joe Burrow, bestie passer in 2021, they take it away, he becomes the best short passer in 2022, right? And so eventually someone's going to figure out, even though it's the most simple offense in the world as far as we're just going to put fast guys in space and let them overrun the the secondary, uh, someone's going to figure out a way to do something against it. And then what's your next pitch? And I think having a running game guards against that. You said if they start loading the box, that that starts to change. But I think generally like it's going to be really hard for the, for a defense to, to, to stop both. And that's why I think, Charlie, you're right, like, there's a new dimension here that even though we're taking for granted how uh, how efficient this thing is, like it, it is new. This this wrinkle is new. Yeah, no one's going to load the box because that means yeah. you're leaving <laughs> Tyreek Hill. Tyree Hill out there on an island in isolation. Right. And I would say that Jalen uh, traditionally that loading the box is when you do give up the big runs. While it, the success rate is a lot lower, the big runs happen when you don't have two safeties back there. So it still co- could right. work in their favor where they would just be more of a boom or boom and bust running attack. So uh, this team is a competitor. So we'll see as long as the defense can get better and they'll get better when Jalen Ramsey comes back. I think that they've proven in this like I was going to say jumble of the AFC, but it feels like the whole league is like a jumble uh, that they've proven that they are good enough to be competitive on any given Sunday. How do you like that? Football love cliche that. I, lo- I, I love cliches. <laughs> I love that. Um, before we move on to the last topic, quickly, Kevin, are you on your laptop right now? I am. Um, so I want you to Google the name Ethan Bonner. Oh, this is, my this guy. Is, this is the guy three days ago. Tyreek Hill said this was the second guy, fastest guy in the on the Dolphins. Oh, my Not guy. HN. Not Waddle. My guy. Ethan Bonner. Stanford. I'm looking at him. Stanford. What position? What position? <laughs> what position, what position? Do you think he plays before? He was a cornerback. Yeah. He's, he was an economics major at, at Stanford, and he's from the Woodlands, Texas. What else would you, and all that what else would you like to tell our lovely viewers about <laughs> this that, cornerback uh, from I, Woodlands, I Texas? I think if I just say he's from the Woodlands, the Woodlands, Texas, <laughs> anytime something starts with the, you can imply other things. <laughs> we got... <laughs> A 4-3-9 white cornerback that Tyreek Hill believes is the second fastest person on his team. I love white cornerbacks. I love them. There's only like a couple of them. It's him and uh, DeGene in college. I got another one. Oh, yeah. Um, The Broncos drafted one from Iowa last year. They coming. They coming. The Woodlands, Dominique, the Woodlands, Texas was founded in 1974. Oh, my gosh. I don't. I don't. I don't want to read the rest of the <laughs> Wonder why they created the Woodlands, Texas. Texas. Amazing. All right. Uh, last. Sorry, sorry, Brian. You're gonna have to cut all that out. <laughs> we can cut around that in a way that we can enjoy some it of it. Has corporate campuses, campuses for Chevron, Phillips Chemical. I, don't, I, don't, I can't. Oh. I can't read this all. I can't read this all. Oh. It's an office park. Way to go, Charlie. Uh, and, a, and a and a suburban. Way community. to go, Charlie. Aren't you proud of me? I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. Uh, we have to keep this in. Last one, and this one's really 
for you, Dominique, because it's the lar- larger question about whether the Patriots and Bill Belichick are at rock bottom. But got to know, Dominique, do you feel bad for Bill Belichick? <laughs> All right. So I don't know. Um, well, I do know that Kevin is an avid fan of the Dominique Foxworth show. So you know that we've had a running joke now because I said I felt sorry for Russell Wilson. That now anyone who has a bad game or a bad day, Charlie. You like, said you had you unlimited spaces for empathy in your heart. I do. I do have unlimited space. Um, I will say that I don't feel bad for Bill Belichick. I'm happy for Bill Belichick. Because sometimes... You're happy you got thumped 34 nothing by the Saints. In 38-3 last week to the Cowboys. I'm happy about these thumpings. I'm happy that they... What they score? I don't know. When's the last time they scored more than 20 points? Uh, week one, I think, maybe. But anyway, I'm happy about all of this. Because sometimes you get a little arrogant and you got to learn from a little discomfort. So I'm happy for Bill Belichick because now he's learning. Not only can you not substitute anybody in to be a coordinator or, or quarterback, uh, and not only can you uh, rely on your defensive acumen to strengthen your team throughout the course of this season, at some point you got to accept that you're not a genius. You better get some damn ballers in that building and figure out some new things. And I think all great coaches learn and adapt, and Bill Belichick has adapted a number of times in his career. Sometimes you got to get your kicked a few times to figure that out so i'm happy for bill belichick congratulations bill all right so i have a couple questions all right. number one or a couple points um maybe some questions thrown in um bill belichick you said has adapted better than anybody maybe in football history um like the best example he switched from a 4-3 to a 3-4 and then back to a been back because the free agent options had gotten too expensive at nose tackle or draft options. And he was just like, screw it. I'm just literally changing the defense. And in some ways I perfected and popularized. Like that's the kind of that adaptation he would do for a defense in a given year. I remember the lockout year, he switched it just because he was like, ah, we don't have enough time with the guys this year as a lockout. We're going to simplify everything. Like he is type of problem solving. No one solved problems better. When was the last time he did something where you were like, yeah, old Bill, here he so, goes. Because I feel like he's been trying to change things the last couple of years, like naming Matt Patricia OC, and it's just fallen flat on its face. Like, I kind of feel like the absence of some great Bill Belichick scheme, innovation, whatever, is important, um, is an important footnote here. And I, I also think, I don't know, like, I just feel like normally, like, my, one of my favorite Bill Belichick games ever, Dominique, mm-hmm. was when Bill, Tom Brady gets suspended. Garoppolo gets hurt. Oh, yeah. And Jacoby Brissett has to start the yeah, fourth so game of the suspension against the Texans. And he was just like, screw it. I'm just going to scheme this up. I'm going to do some deep stuff. I'm going to do some run stuff. I'm going to do some whatever. And I'm going to I'm gonna win. I'm going to eke this out. And Bill O'Brien, obviously, uh, not maybe not a sleeper agent, but close to it as far as some of the decisions he made in that game, um, just to help out his boy. Um, but I just, I, 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 the lack of, of something like that to help out Mac Jones, has been disappointing from me or for me because he's just done it so often. And I, I wonder if he's out of ideas. The scary part is the defense has been good for most of this time, but they haven't been lately. And even with injuries or whatever, you he finds ways around to make the defense good uh, and which keeps them in games, which then can end up having a decent rookie season for Mac Jones because you're not asking a whole bunch of them. I think it's possible that – he makes mistakes in the course of all the decisions that he's made and like the free agents that he bring in that they fail, but they have not been grouped in a particular set of seasons in the way that they have recently. And also those mistakes can be covered up by certain players. Some guys like Tom Brady would help you get over some of those things. So I think that's probably what it is, is like, it's, you're not going to make all the decisions. All your decisions aren't going to be the right ones throughout the course of a game. And I also think that it has something to do with how the team feels about itself. I think the mystique that's around a team and it feels like kind of soft and, and hard to quantify. But I do believe that you prepare for a game, you enter a game, and you execute uh, the game plan in a different way when you believe that Bill Belichick gave it to you. Then when you're like... This guy ain't been doing nothing in several years. And now you approach the game and the game plan in a different way. So I think all of that is interconnected, how he's going to save it. And the point, the really interesting thing that you said, or the thing that came to my mind that that I thought was interesting when you were talking was he seems egoless in a way, because to your point, the three, four defense that he somewhat perfected and became like a relevant coaching prospect 
off of doing that and then has success using it. He's willing. You're like, all right, I don't need that no more. I'm moving on. But what the last couple years it felt like, it's felt like arrogance. And maybe it's me being biased or not having a full view of what's going on. But that's what it kind of feels like, particularly with last year with the coordinator situation. It's like, eh, whatever. It, I'll figure it out. I also think that so much of what he's done over the past 20 years has been built around him being successful with it. And so, and what I mean by that is like being a jerk to the media is actually kind of charming when when the fans are like, classic Bill, he's not giving you anything when they're going 14 and three, 14 and two. But now the fans demand answers on why Mac Jones is doing this or doing that, right? Um, Now they're, they're wondering whether or not Mac Jones is getting benched or whatever. Um, Some of the ways he treats his players as far as, um, I mean, whether that's being hard on him, them, whether that's being, you, know, you can't market yourself in the media. Um, I mean, there's, there is, there has been a lack of fun, I think in some parts of the organization, when you're a player there, that the act, you know, the carrot is that you win a Super Bowl eventually. <laughs> right. And I wonder like, if you, if you are there for four years and you lose, aren't you just like, this wasn't worth this. This kind of sucks. I was gonna say also like, this is like, part of me, you talk about adaptation with Bill Belichick. Look at the league. Look at the Chiefs' speed, Eagles' speed, Dolphins' speed, but, 49ers' speed, and playmakers everywhere. They're just slow and, like, boring. And so that's the thing is all of almost all of Bill Belichick's adaptations have been zigs, and that's why they yes. were successful adaptations. So being slow is his, is his zag on this No, one? no. No, but to, like— to, uh, I think, I think you— more to, I think what Dominique's saying is like two tight end sets. Yeah. Yeah. would try to go yeah. more, so more run game I'm not heavy. saying that it's smart, but I'm saying all the innovations and all the things that we were impressed with seemed stupid at the time. And if right. some other coach who didn't have his pedigree did it, we'd be like, what's this buffoon doing? And he's lost that credibility. And I think going into last season, I was one who was like, all right, We'll be we'll, we'll trust this no no offensive coordinator thing. Oh, we'll yeah. trust all these free agents thing because he's like, all right, he's always moved on from players the right time. He's gotten players for cheap. And when he did decide to go in on a free agent, it was like, all right, I'll go all in on this cornerback because this matters so much to my defense. And he's always been like these little moves. All right, we'll go all in on Randy Moss. Oh, we're going to go two tight ends before anybody else is going two tight ends. We're going to attack defenses that way. We're going to build our offense around around Gronkowski like these are things that nobody else was doing yeah. and we were like oh this is weird oh it's freaking working so he's doing weird stuff again but it's not working and if you do weird stuff three years in a row and it doesn't work eventually we're like you're weird do you think Randy Moss would still be their best receiver like today <laughs> wait but Dominic it's not just that he did the, the two ten end thing before everybody was starting to do it he did it in reaction to what was right. going on in the league that was the beginning of the passing boom Everybody's investing in outside corners because they're trying to get get the air. Darrell Rivas is is the man at, on the outside in in New York, and it's like cool. You guys are all trying to figure out how to stop the outside receivers, and and Matt Stafford's putting up all these stats. We'll just own the middle of the field, and we'll draft Rob Gronkowski and a future convicted murderer. <laughs> that was fun. All right, so I do think that the. Uh... The point that we've come to here is, I think, a, a good one. We talked our way to something that I think is really smart about Bill Belichick and the difference between the Bill Belichick that we remember and the Bill Belichick that we're seeing now is the adaptations were from a place of humility and a place of reacting to the other things that were going on. Oh, Randy Moss is available at a low price? All right, we'll build our offense around that. Oh, these tiny white slot receivers who play lacrosse are cheap, but they're quick? We can build our offense around that. Oh, these are opportunities defensively. We can manufacture a pass rush artificially here. Oh, we can pay a corner to lock this guy down and move our resources elsewhere because no one else is doing that. Like, it's always a reaction this is the first time these last couple years where it doesn't seem to be a reaction it seems like it's not coming from a place of humility as much as it's coming from a place of oh but i know what i'm doing i can do this because i've always done it this feels like a weirdly good discussion for this show i feel weird about it how dare you I I mean, you, know, you want to know what i feel weird about we're about to end the show negative one name drops for kevin clark oh, good job congratulations kevin oh i actually had a mike tannenbaum name drop in my notes but we never got to the Anything All right, can we close it. the show so, with the Mike Tannenbaum name drop? What were you going to tell us about Mike Tannenbaum? I was just going to say I had a couple of notes on just different contract stuff, and I, I just wanted to say that um, there was a note in there about how Mike Tannenbaum said that 
one of the reasons you pay Saquon Barkley and not Daniel Jones is to reward your guys. Um, and I thought that was and, and to show the locker room that if you play well, regardless of position, um, that you will uh, you will be rewarded. And so there was a that was kind of an option route. I could have uh, used that in a I bunch see. of different things. I just circled it and said maybe I can come to this particular point off of the Mike Tannenbaum episode of This Is Football. <laughs> Produced by Omaha Productions and ESPN. I'm so glad we didn't get to that. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Kevin Clark, for joining us on the Dominique Foxworth Show, presented by Allstate. And also, thank you, Charlie, for being awesome as usual. And thanks to all the great producers, Kevin, Brian, Serafina, Megan, and Podville for this wonderful studio. And we out. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.